To the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. I'm wondering. Hold on. Hold on. I'm hot. Excuse me. Check. 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 Okay. You are hot, Scott. You are so hot. Oh my god. I was going to say something, but that would just go to your head. It would. Frost them tips up again. You'll be uh, <laughs> It'll be. Uh, no, my There's audio. Our cold open. That yeah. is. Have you been working out, Scott? What was that? Have you been working out? I have not. I but but I but I'm down 41 pounds. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yep. So I'm keeping to work, keeping on working at it. So. Atta boy. All right. Uh, let's try this again. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. I'll be back. I need to go frost my tips. Yes. I don't even know how to respond to that statement. <laughs> Do you know you can say that so many ways? Hey, baby, you want to come frost my tips? It just changes. You. It changes the oh. context. Oh. That's so. You just yeah. really. Yeah. Oh. There's our cold open. Yeah, yeah there we are. <laughs> anyway. Yep. Uh, wasn't this a conversation on one of the other prior shows and it derailed pretty fast? David, and it's become a reoccurring, uh, it has. reoccurring thing, and you are welcome. Yes, thank you, thank you. All right, oh, my stars. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why I like hanging out with you guys. You bring laughter into my life. So, <laughs> just start the show. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening. I am Miles P. McLaughlin. Hi, I'm M Zero Frosted Tips Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Dave Sellers. <laughs> who t- who tonight does not sound like he's going to a funeral. No, for but, once. But he is quarantined. Ding ding ding. I am quarantined. Yeah, that's right. As Hello. am I. Are you what? guys quarantined? Are you bo- did you did you get it? I, I shared it with Dave. No. He was touching my okay. frosted yes. tips. Yes. Uh, <laughs> wait, so I'm behind because I haven't chatted with you guys in a while. Are you guys all okay? So, so I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm in quarantine because of my son who was in quarantine and then began to show symptoms. And now I'm quarantined until we find out his results. Gotcha. And, and you got a little uh, itchy and scratchy show going on. I do. I do. Fun. That complements my frosted tips. Um, I was also, <laughs> I was... Chopping wood Saturday with a chainsaw and sawed through a bunch of poison ivy, and it decided to give back to me. Oh, and, um, so I'm literally 
good. I, I literally have it on my eyes, on my lips, on my neck, on my chest, uh, in the <sighs> groin area. It's everywhere. And it's, uh, oh. uh, I did go to the doctor for it. And uh, so they had me on some pretty good dope and I'm great. Yeah. Oh my God. 2020 just crapped all over you. It did. Hey, just think tomorrow's Friday the 13th. 2020. Oh. <laughs> Thank God I'm at home. Yeah. Do you know what's going to happen? We're going to get Kiefer's test results back and he's going to be positive. What's going to happen. Mm. No positive. Let's be positive oh. about yeah. thinking that positive. for now, positive things and he should be okay. You know, so we've been, Chris has been tested twice. I've been tested once and He's never been tested, but we will always have been negative when we've gone through our tests. So, I mean, statistically, it's a very small chance, right? Um, right. But the media is making it sound like everyone's getting COVID. COVID well, for you, COVID for you, and COVID for you. No, but that's not, you know. It's, you get a COVID. Yeah. Reach on your seat. Everyone I mean, gets COVID. No, it's just not. <laughs> And we don't. So, I, I don't mean to make making light of it. I because I have had people in my life that have died from it. So like, but it's just, um, you know, statistically, it's pretty small that you actually get it. The so three people in my neighborhood have it, mm-hmm. and they very sweetly like announced it to the, our neighborhood quietly, um, not quietly, like within our like our neighborhood group. And they don't live in my courtyard, but they said, look, our kids are have tested negative and they're staying elsewhere. But our, my husband and I and his sister, who is here to help us with the kids. Um, so we are all quarantining. We have, you know, this is where we've been. And just to, like, be informative to, you know, to, to, for tracing purposes. And, like, it's uh, today a co-worker's aunt died yesterday from complications from COVID and yeah. the like in Spain where my family lives, they had everything shut down again. The whole country shut down again. Chicago is shut down today. So it's, I, I'm, I'm looking like at it and say that it's only a matter of time for us in Pennsylvania too, with our cases, but I mean, we just need to be careful and wear our masks and yeah. you know, yeah, well, you know, at the diner, at least, we're social distancing. I mean, I know. Take out only, um, six feet apart. We uh, will take it out to your car and give it to you and deliver it to your device of choice. And here we are. You know, and all while wearing inflatable dinosaur suits to further protect everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, it's it, so it's certainly like our state now, our state union has recommended that. Um, Lancaster schools go virtual. So I don't know how that plays in because they really don't have power over the school board. Um, but it says something when the state union is saying, uh, these counties, you should be going virtual. So, but. Well, my fingers are crossed for a good result for Kiefer. Yeah. He's one of my favorite kids in the world. So Aww. I just don't, I need to make sure he's like healthy and goofy the next time I get to see him. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's get into our menu tonight. Um, what is on our menu, Mr. Miles P. McLaughlin? So we'll be talking about what's going on in our sci-fi world. Uh, there is a new show coming out from from Sci-Fi Channel uh, next year uh, starring Alan Tudyk called uh, Resident Alien. We're going to watch a short trailer. Um, we're going to talk about the um, – 
a little bit about Star Trek Discovery. It's three. It's now four episodes in, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, Star Wars Mandalorian. There are two episodes in as we're as we're recording, and we're looking at a trailer from Life Beyond. Um, Scott, you know more about this than I do, so um, I will let, I'll ask you to speak more of it. Um, about the um, oh, Life Beyond. Well, it's we'll, we'll talk when we get there, I guess. Um, and then the other thing is we do have a interview, um, and, uh, interview with the guy's name is Charles Dunbar and he has quite an interesting past. Uh, but ultimately he's one of the foremost experts on anime fandom and he, uh, he comes at it from a cultural anthro- anthropology background. So we'll be sharing the interview, this interview that we did at Zenkaicon. Obviously not Zenkaicon 2020 because it was shut down, but Zenkaicon 2019. Chrissy Rassesberger, our other co-host, who's not here tonight, did this interview, and she'd probably be able to explain it a little bit better. But I'll do my best to try and uh, and do this. So, yeah. So there you go. That's going to be our show. So uh, that sounds delicious. Yeah. So uh, let's. Let's start talking about uh, what's going on in our sci-fi world. Em, I see you typing away. Do you want to go first? Do you want me, <laughs> or do you want me to uh, put one of the others first to give you let you collect your thoughts? Um. So I've been thinking about it. Like while I was supposed to be on a conference call, I was thinking about the list, and I just found my post-it note. Um. So like everyone else, I'm deep into discovery. I watched today's episode, the episode that dropped today at lunch. And I'm, I'm, I just love this whole new world of, of Star Trek of, you know, like we, because it's so far into the future, even more so than it's the furthest into the future than any Trek, aside from like every time Voyager went through time, um, and broke like all the rules, um, it's kind of delicious to have to, to know that there's this blank slate of what could happen with all of the peoples that we've met. So I'm like, I watch it and I usually will watch it like two or three times within the day that it's released because I'm, I'm just enjoying it. Like a really amazing, you know, pecan pie. Um, <clears throat> super loving Mando. Although the last episode, I don't care about the fish egg eating thing. And if you haven't seen it by now, sorry, <laughs> not sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I like it was just a little slow. The concept of Mando of being used as a taxi, like just uh, I, I don't know. I need to watch it again. Um, and then I'm getting super jazzed uh, about Ready Player Two. I've pre-ordered it. Um, I know that Will Wheaton's posted pictures of him in the studio. Super excited for Ready Player Two. Um, and I just finished getting through all of the Witcher books. That's a lot of books. So I'm kind of ready for season two to start. And then I also recently watched, um, the entirety of Big Bang Theory. Um, and they're only like 20 minutes long, so it wasn't that hard to get through. Um, but I'm reminded of just how deliciously sweet and nerdy they are. But once it got chippy, it got a little, uh, um, and then I also rewatched Raised by Wolves on HBO. That's um, uh, that's the Ridley Scott show that is so strange. 
and I need to find other people who have watched it because I don't know what I've watched. It's 10 episodes of, huh? Um, but it's so cool. And that's, and aside from working like 50 hours a week, uh, that's, that's pretty much what's going on in my sci-fi world. Awesome. Awesome. Chrissy, welcome to the show. Chrissy. Yeah. I, I've been having a week. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been having, I've been having two weeks, actually. Right, right. Well, come on. We'll be your therapist tonight. Why don't you come over here and uh, tell us all about it? <laughs> um. Well, my my last week, I was just basically running around like a chicken with my head cut off, and I had I basically did um half a month of time for a program in like three days. So that was fun, and I got absolutely nothing else done. Um. And then we had news that someone who had been working in the office um, pretty much has a presumptive positive case. And so we were all quarantining. And then I was told that my, one of our other people are getting tested and that happened like earlier this evening. So I got completely distracted and I'm going to be perfectly honest. I like forgot what day it was and I'm just like processing that. (laughs) So that was fun. Um, so that's what's going on in, in my actual world. I'm living sci-fi, um, as most people are. Um, I did, I did get to finally, in my busyness, finally get to finish Umbrella Academy. Um, I also watched this YouTube, um, movie that someone put out, which was Life Beyond 2, which was exploring different alien life forms or possible alien life forms and what life beyond earth could look like and those possibilities. So it's really educational and interesting if people want to check it out and has some pretty cool visuals of, you know, quote unquote aliens. So that was a really, I think it's like 45 minutes or something. It's not that long, um, but it's very enjoyable. So. Oh, very good. Very good. Uh, who's next? Dave, why don't we go to you? Well, just enjoying Discovery and Mandalorian, like everybody else. Um, finished rewatching Enterprise. That was fun. Um, I've been pretty much logged in almost consistently on Star Trek Online for the last few days, being home and quarantined. I should join you. Um, you should. You really should. And as of today... Because I was so bored, I downloaded and started playing Star Wars Squadrons on PlayStation. Oh, very good. Yeah, I need to get the uh, PlayStation VR set to really get into this thing. Because this is the game I've been waiting for since I was a kid. After X-Wing, TIE Fighter, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, X-Wing Alliance. you know, All those were really great back then. Um, wow, I am super looking forward to hear more about how you like the game because I haven't. I'm, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, the the the. the uh, I've only started the story mode a little bit, and I had to turn it off, or else I'd have been there for a good ten hours <laughs> easily. Um, but I mean, so far it's it's great. Um, when I do end up building myself an actual desktop and we've had this discussion i think the last time we talked and i was getting ridiculed for gaming on a on a laptop um, I, i've actually been <laughs> building my my computer yeah. um i'm having i'm having some issues with the 
it not booting to play. So I think it's. A, I think I may have gotten the wrong RAM somehow, even though it uh, should have been compatible. It wasn't. So, but this stupid motherboard doesn't have a speaker. I know, and there's nothing I can do about it. I don't. I I got an alert that it wanted to restart, and I thought I declined it, and it restarted anyways, and then it decided to update. Apparently, the machines are rising. What machines are rising, and and that's just what it is. It is. It is. I've seen the robot apocalypse, and it's happening in my room right now. (laughs) To ukulele music, nonetheless. Fucking hour yesterday. I, mean, I know. Twenty twenty bingo. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I was like trying to make it work. I'm like, what the heck? And I was like, is YouTube down? Like question mark? Because it's 2020. That my was son, a my, question, my, my, my son came down and said, Dad, the internet's broken. I can't get YouTube to work. I'm like, I'm sorry. I <laughs> yeah. Sorry, not sorry. It's just gonna. Things just be crazy. I, I, yeah. I was waiting for all of Google to go down. I was like, what's going to happen next? Like, what will we do? I'll have to use, like, Ask Jeeves or something. Yeah, or Yahoo. <laughs> Hotmail. I'll, go, I'll activate my old Hotmail account. <laughs> I still have my AOL account. I miss a game sometimes. <laughs> I do not miss going number by number dialing up. And dialing up, nope, that one's busy. No, that one's busy. And then Ugh. someone in the house picking up the phone and then killing my connection. Do you know what I miss? I miss dialing into my bulletin board. <laughs> oh, yes. I do. We did, we, we, we did that when, when we were in high school. You dial, dial into your bulletin board. Bulletin board. I don't think I ever had to actually put in numbers to dial in. Yeah. So Wait a minute. How? When you were in high school, you did that? Yep. No, 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 no. The internet was not invented when you were in high school. Bulletin boards. <laughs> bulletin boards, boards were. You could dial, you could dial into a location, ah. someone hub it, and then you could download games and even found this cute picture of Kathy Ireland in a swimsuit that got me going as a, <laughs> as a high school student. So It took you like 20 minutes for it to download. I know. You like waited for the JPEGs to show up. It's like, get, it's like, it's like getting an image from Mars. That's about the equivalent. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a twenty-minute transition time. So, yeah. like Matthew brought her from War Games in it, huh? Yeah, absolutely. So I don't Did even know where we were at. Elder name? I don't know. Where I don't know. You missed my epic computer ramp. I know, unfortunately. Chrissy was just... giving us. You're giving us our. She's had a rough week. Yeah, well, we got that. We got <laughs> that. And then Dave, <laughs> Dave, did you share? You shared, right? Or were you yeah, done? Was at the end of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Miles, why don't you go ahead? We'll pick up there. So, I am enjoying uh, Star Trek Discovery and uh, The Mandalorian. Um, I'm also watching this on Netflix. Uh, it's an animated series. It's called Blood of Zeus. It Ooh. basically 
it's basically yeah it's very good um it's basically make a new story uh, of greek mythology but uh jason omara is voicing zeus some people might recognize him from um the show terra nova and he's he's been on other shows and he's voiced batman in some of the um dc uh animated movies i warn you it's a little rated r when it comes to violence but good storytelling to, went back in time a little bit i watched trial of the incredible hulk with uh, bill bixby and lou Ferrigno. wow that was that was quaint it had um uh, it, it had uh, an actor playing. I forget the actor's name, but he, he was a singer on Solid Gold. He played um, uh, Daredevil, and uh, Don Reese Davies played uh, Kingpin. So <laughs> that's awesome. So it was, it was that was fun. Watched the movie on Amazon Prime called Archive. It had something to do with robots and transferring human consciousness to robots i'm reading the uh star trek voyager novel to lose the earth by uh, kirsten Beyer. oh cool so, so so that's what's going on in my sci-fi world it sounds like good sci-fi in my sci-fi world i have a computer that keeps rebooting on me because the robots are <laughs> uprising and ai is taking over my world um, I am also watching The Mandalorian. We'll hopefully get into it. Are we talking about The Mandalorian tonight? Well, probably, uh, maybe oh, yeah, just now. Fine. Just now. Okay. So I uh, absolutely loved the first episode. I mean, the reveal at the end was second to none, and the whole episode was awesome. And then when you find out that Boba Fett, or AKA at least a clone, is still alive, you're like, you're like, holy crap, this can't get better. And it and second episode it didn't. Uh, there were there were some good parts and things I liked about the second episode. Loved the X wings. Um, I wasn't crazy about. I, I love the cantina. wasn't um, wasn't crazy about him being a taxi service. And certainly, the fish egg thing was weird. I know that people were up in arms about, you know, baby Yoda eating fish eggs, but hey, we do it all the time. Don't blink twice. I think what made it worse for people is that this fish lady was kind of sentient in some way. Um, and therefore that seemed a bit weird. But but to, but totally baby Yoda. Yeah. So he ate frogs last year. I yeah, mean he ate the spider embryo in the show too. I mean when we plan, some of them are still living and can feel pain. So, I mean, there you, there go. you go. There you go. I like telling All I heard that to, to watch their faces. Yeah. I mean, my I salad was screaming with every crunch. <laughs> I, it, nice. was, it was, you know, no, too much dressing. But... <laughs> my body I mean, screams every time a salad gets near it. So, <laughs> turn about is fair play. <laughs> oh, my. Oh my! That's exciting. There's a whole no language. So. There we go. Um, other things, I am. Um, I'm still playing a lot of League of Legends. Uh, I'm still coaching League of Legends. We aren't doing real well as a team. My our team isn't, but it's been a learning experience to me. First time I've coached a team, and I've been really enjoying the journey. Um, still playing Pokemon, the trading card game online a little bit. Um, I watched the black hole. For the first time ever. Oh, oh now, such a good movie. Uh, so, I mean, 
obviously cheese all over the place when you watch it it's now. It's the worst. But, <laughs> but, but I, all I remember is when I was eight years old, my mom picked up a little book you know, that basically told the kids version of the doll's hole. It was illustrated. I was fascinated by the robots and I was just, and so, but, and I always wanted to see it. And so one day I kind of put it on kind of this background um, and camp all the way, but you know, it, you know, I not Disney's best, but I enjoyed it. So what it was, it was it 1982 or 83 or was it, I thought it what came out in the late seventies. I thought it was an was answer. It, it was an answer to Star Wars, is my understanding of it. I'm looking it up, but I could be wrong. But um, I think you're no. right. 1979. You're completely right. Yeah. So, anyways, it was it was like two years after Star Wars. I think it was trying to be the answer, and so it had these goofy robots and stuff like that in it. Oh, the little the little one robot who's just a little bit crooked and broken. Right. Right. Loved him. Um, and I, I remember so that the, the faceless robots were always so scary. The big red one. Oh, that too. Yeah. Oh, that freaks me out. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I watched that. Um, I read, uh, I'm in the middle of reading Dune, Duke of Caladan, which is the newest book in the Dune universe. It was put out by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson. Um, I too, like M, am stoked for Ready Player Two. Um, I'm excited. Will Wheaton's reading it because yes. he can read nothing that I don't enjoy, basically. Or I haven't, <laughs> read, I haven't heard anything I haven't enjoyed by him. And I've read with my son. We re we read Ray Player One like three or four times, and I read it two additional times of my own. I love the book, so I'm just I'm hoping. Um, I'm going to tell you this. I'm hoping that knowing Ernst Klein, um, I'm hoping that. It is better than Armada was, um, which I liked Armada, uh, different vibe, but didn't have the the same impact that Ready Player One had. Um, I think he has some large shoes to fill, and I'm hoping that he is able to make it work. I like to consider Armada like because there Armada was was good. I really enjoyed it, but it was definitely like it was a sophomore sophomore book right i think i, I mean it between was, what he's learned with that and a couple of other things that he's been working on and people he's been working with i'm i'm really excited i i feel really good and confident about it well you know it'll it'll i i'm sure at the very least i'm going to find it entertaining and i you know i read a i read a model like two or three times it's not like i hated the book um uh, you know, it's a little bit, uh, I think it's a little bit close to Ender's game, um, in the premise a little bit, um, and, uh, the video or the arcade games and music that played into it. Um, and so it did do stuff that was a little bit different. Um, I love the whole Carl Sagan bit in that, in the Armada thing they do with that. So there was a lot I loved about the book. Um, but it definitely didn't have the power that Ready Player One had, and I hope that Ready Player Two has. So, um, and I just finished a John Scalzi book. Um, I love John Scalzi, um, and uh, I've been reading. I read his series, uh, The Collapsing Empire, and I realized that 
this past April, the third book had come out in the series and I didn't read it. So I read it and absolutely loved it. Definitely not a book you want to give your mother, but it was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> uh, it was, it was fantastic. Why not? Why not? Um, so uh, there's a lot of sex and a lot of language, and it was she just, might like that. You don't she, know. Yeah, uh, she you might. Uh, maybe I'm prejudging my little Mennonite well, mother. Well, how do you think you got here? I, uh, you know, my parents I mean, never told me, but but I did find out. I did find out. I mean, that, that's how we all got here. So I would think a lot of mothers would like sex. I'm just I mean, saying. My mom complains all the time, like, oh, the Hallmark Channel's nice, but all they do is kiss. Come on. Get hotter. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, why do you think some of those, you know, raunchy movies were so popular with the ladies? I'm just saying. Although, knowing your mother, probably not. Yes. You did work work with my mother at one point, so. Yeah, I, I I would say that Scott's assessment that he shouldn't give it to his mother no, but our moms, I think, would love it. Yeah, my mom knows nothing about that sort of thing anyway, so. Um, which is why I'm here, the Immaculate Conception. Here we are. Oh, Lord have mercy. Yeah. And frosted tips are like a halo, right? I think, I think that's why. I mean, I think my dad had frosted tips. I was like, voila. Yeah. It's that scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail where the heavens open and there's the grail. <laughs> I'm waiting to find out that there was some bizarre explosions somewhere in the middle of, of Pennsylvania. Just oddly in one little farm in one little room. <laughs> right. <laughs> Podcasting studio. Oh, so I'm sorry my computer's rebooting again. I'm just kidding. It's not. It would totally be there. But anyway, if you haven't checked out this John Scalzi series, it's The Collapsing Empire. The premise of it's great. You know, there you, you find out in the first book that the the empire is 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 caving in on itself because of a natural phenomenon. Um, they have these because faster than light travel is impossible. They have like these mini wormholes that connects the systems, but they discover these wormholes are collapsing, and um, they have to figure out what they're going to do about it. And then, of course, there's a whole there's all this political stuff going on and assassinations and coups and stuff like that. All right, uh, Miles, why don't you get us into Resident Alien? Yeah, so. In listening to the um, the Delta Flyers, the podcast by uh, Robbie Duncan McNeil and uh, Garrett Wong, they're going through Voyager, but they're also talking about what's going on in their lives. And, and Robert Duncan McNeil is the executive producer on the show, uh, Resident Alien, uh, starring Alan Tudyk. And I was like, oh, this has got to be cool. So um, there's a there's a there's a trailer out for it, and um, I'll go watch it and, and see what you see what we all we all thought. Who are you? I'm Harry Vanderspiegel. I'm a doctor. You don't have anything to worry about. I'm not an alien. All right, look, that's one creepy son of a bitch, right? It's okay for people to be a little bit different sometimes. This is some bullshit. Think about is him sitting there in the cockpit with the dinosaurs. I know, and we will call them <laughs> this land. Um, so let's talk about. 
yeah. So let's talk about this. Uh, let's talk about this trailer here. Uh, for me, this is a lot of promise. It's great to see Alan Tudyk back on the screen again, doing something science fiction related. And it's really like a science fiction comedy in some ways. It, it seems really perfect for him. He, he does a really great delivery of sci-fi and comedy. I mean, just from the past of what I've seen, it's just, so it looks good in terms, like, if you want something that's, like, if you're not wanting, like, serious sci-fi, like, if you want something that's light and fluffy and just funny, it looks like it would be really good. Um, it's based on the Dark Horse comic. So it's, oh. there should be some I, – I, 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 I'm kind of excited about it even more now. <laughs> well, if you go to really- YouTube after the trailer, they actually have the first seven minutes, which I also watched, um, where they kind of introduce how he came to Earth. Um, but, uh, it's, it, it looks good and I'm, I'm interested. First thing that sci-fi has produced in a while that I'm kind of interested in. Yeah. Same here. Sci-fi has not done much for me lately. There was a show that came out earlier this year. I forget the name of it. It was a space show, but it was just way too silly. I, I, it lost me after the second episode. So in fact, the sci-fi channel is coming up with something that looks like it's worth watching. Um, is, is a good thing. Was that that show Vagrant Queen or something like that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. yeah I, I watched the first two episodes. And I was like, yep, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. All right. So the, there's, is there a release date for it? IMDb doesn't have a date. What I found out is probably January of 2021. Nice. So not too Oh, long. that gives me time. All right. Well, then I'm gonna I'm gonna order up some 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 trades and give it a read. But oh, yeah. you had me. They had me at Alan Tudyk and Dark Horse Comics. Those two together. I mean, it's the Reese's cup of science fiction delight. <laughs> is Dark Horse I do like Reese's cups? Is Dark Horse associated with uh, Joss Whedon? Um, no. But okay. they've done. There's been some things that. Like that they've worked on together, but nothing like huge, huge. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I know, but I will happily Google it to make sure that I'm correct. I won't even Joss Whedon. It's an H, right? Yeah, Joss Whedon. Uh, there's not a whole whole lot. Maybe he did some comic books. Yeah. So he did a couple of comic books with them. He did Frey. Uh, but that looks like the only connection. And the Dr. Horribles were printed by uh, Dark Horse. Oh, okay. So there is a loose association. Yeah, I think they've printed some of his work, but nothing like in super aggressive. All right. Well, well I, I like I like what I've seen in this trailer. Uh, I'm definitely going to be there for the pilot and ho- ho- hopefully it'll be good. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Me too. I'll probably watch it like later because that will be the height of shelter season. Oh yeah. So I I don't know how that's gonna go. That's all right. Do we want to talk more about the Mandalorian? And I do you got- have a tangent to sci-fi. I'm curious if any of you guys have been had watched Krypton, and if it's worth it, like trying to watch it i did not i i did i liked some of it 
but it kind of ends on a cliffhanger. So, because it didn't get renewed, so I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if it will be. If you feel like that might be time wasted. Mm, all right, that's fair. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so. We have in here the first episode of The Mandalorian. We obviously have two now. Do we want to talk more about that, or do we feel like we talked about that in our... Um, I like the um, that mechanic on Tatooine. I like that they keep going back to Tatooine mm-hmm. for, for, for different things. But what I, I liked about the first episode was almost... It was like a Star Trek-like solution where... The Mandalorian gets the sand people and the people at town to cooperate and work together mm-hmm. to get rid of that crate dragon. I was very Star Trek in Star Wars. Oh, am, am, I, am I the only one that really channeled Drax when he came blasting out of that big worm? <laughs> I single-handedly vanquished the beast. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. There are some Drax overtones to that, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I started freaking out at the end of it and watching it with my wife, and I'm freaking out when you see the the uh, the Fett clone or whatever, whoever that was, at the end, and I'm sitting there freaking out. I knew he was alive. I've been saying it for years, and she's looking at me like I've just lost my mind. Like, what are you going <laughs> on about over here? You don't get it. <laughs> Probably other people are doing the same thing. Oh yeah. Oh no doubt. Well, you know. If they, if they were going to do it, this is a great way to tell people that Fett's alive. Yes. And they could do a good job with telling uh, Boba Fett's story in this um, this medium on this show. Yeah. I think John Favreau won't screw it up. I have, I have no doubt he won't. Mm-hmm. Just a matter of we're going to have to wait 12 episodes to get there. I know. <laughs> Do they tease us in this first and then not bring it in? I mean, I don't know. It's loosely still lurking, lurking for the Mandos in uh, episode two, but it's. Well, and, and yeah, and I'm kind of ticked off that even starting off, while it was great and everything, you had the the Imperial guy with the Mandalorian Darksaber at the end of the first season. Well, what the hell happened with that? Can't leave me hanging there. Yeah, but they'll get there. We'll they get will get there. They'll get there. I'm sorry. Uh, just enjoy the with- enjoy oh, the yeah, taxi sorry. service episodes, right? Well, enjoy- <laughs> consider it like a nice long, you know, a meal a meal of many courses because if you're just gonna, you know, do a drive by at Taco Bell and cram down that chalupa. It's you're not going to enjoy it, but if you're going to go to like a really nice Mexican restaurant with a couple of like you know entree, like there's a series of entrees and desserts and starters, you really want to savor it. So I feel like that they're they're going to make us. He's shaking his head. He's like, no, I just want the chalupa. No, and I'm going to drive back around through the drive-through and get a second helping. (laughs) Then all you're going to get is like crap that's on (laughs) sci-fi. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, another thing I liked about the Mandalorian was the callback to Return of the Jedi. Uh, I thought the uh the consequences of taking the Imperials out create a power vacuum and so you had the the, the minor guild uh 
try to take over this town or whatever. Mm. So that was kind of interesting. I love callbacks and they call back to return of the Jedi, which was great. Um, what else do I like about? I can, I can, I can, I continue to like the whole Western theme that continues to permeate it. It's very much like, it's very much like, so you go into a cantina and shoot it up and who's going to draw first, but partner and let's, you know, there's towns not big enough for the two of us. You know, it's just, it's, it's very much this feel and, uh, and I continue to appreciate that about the Mandalorian. It, it's it's echoes of Firefly in the Star Wars universe without the crew. And it's shiny. I mean, you guys are making this all very tempting for me to get Disney Plus, but I just haven't I haven't done that yet. I had forgotten that Timothy Oliphant was in this. And when he when he took off the helmet, and I was like, "How many more westerns do you need to be in, dude?" <laughs> I know. I, I ju- it was just such a delicious like. I I love him in a western. I love that series on HBO. Um, Westworld. Uh, no, 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 the western western, the real western that they had on. Oh, Deadwood. 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 So good. So, and it was. Was it he? Was, was he in Deadwood? He's in Deadwood. Yeah. yeah, he's the dude who ends up being sheriff and the woman he loves, he can't be with. So he's with the woman that you can't love the one you want. So you love the one you're with. And <laughs> it's it's so, so good. Such a great cast. Also, your mother shouldn't watch that. <laughs> uh, probably not. My mother should not. Um, she probably shouldn't watch most things on HBO. <laughs> that would be my guess as well. <laughs> Amazing. Absolutely amazing. All right. So where are we at? Disco. Let's talk about the first three episodes of Disco or the first four. I think we're was today four or five? Today was today was four. Okay. So yeah. a running theme of the show that one of our listeners pointed out when I had said on our Facebook page was that Discovery's killing it. I mean, I'm loving it. But uh, a listener said, yeah, it's great, but it, it seems like Michael Burnham always cries during the show. And so maybe we should have a drinking game of whenever Michael Burnham <laughs> cries, we take a drink. I thought that was a brilliant observation and a brilliant idea. Oh, too. <laughs> I mean, man. this is the most human we've seen Michael Burnham. She had that whole year before discovery, before she and discovery were reunited. Um, you can like, you can see it in the way she walks and her demeanor all of like everything about her and she's talked about it too. Like that year has changed me and it's, I love it so hard. I love it so much. She does cry a lot, but I kind of like seeing this human side of her because she's human and you know, it'll be interesting. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what happens when they actually run into Vulcans again. And see how they've changed, if they've changed, and maybe what kind of influence that'll end up having on her. Well, in the first episode, that was a nice callback to, to original series. We had Andorians and Orions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you make, make a good use of original series. Uh, yeah. Andorians, the one race they completely underutilized until Enterprise. I think now. I think they're going to get another fair shake in this one, too. It just feels like it. Oh, they will. But uh, I like what, I mean, I like the book character that uh, 
uh, Michael Burnham is met up. His ship sort of reminds me a little bit of the Millennium Falcon, kind of the way the cockpit is to one side and the rest of the ship. It's kind of it, 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 it's not. It, it kind of it looks like a more modern version of the Millennium Falcon. His ship, I thought. I see that. But uh, I like yeah. the actor who plays Brooke. He played um, Alistair Black on Supergirl um, last season. Yeah. Oh, speaking of callbacks, did you catch the uh, USS Voyager J? Yeah, that was oh. that was in this 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 last episode. <laughs> I shook my head. I'm like, really, Voyager? Come on, you couldn't have had Enterprise or something? I mean, really. I'm sure that we'll get it eventually. Again, don't just shove the whole chalupa down your face. <laughs> Savor it. Savor it. Uh, oh, Fred, now I want a chalupa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's that quote that Yoda admonishes Luke with about patience? <laughs> I don't remember what? that one, but I do remember... Um, uh, Miyagi saying, you know, you, you either, uh, you either yes or no, cross the street or don't cross the street. You stay in the middle, squish like grape. So just like decide <laughs> if you're going to be patient or find something else to watch. And then in like seven to 12 weeks, you'll have all of them to watch all at once. Yeah, but then I got to wait seven to 12 weeks knowing new episodes are there. I know. It makes it even more painful. <laughs> it's so hard to wait. <laughs> but uh, I like the you overall can do tone. It. I have I like faith the overall, in you. I like the overall tone of the show this season so far. It's There, there is a serious problem with most ships don't have warp drive, but it's not because of it. It's not because there's been a this social dystopian breakdown. It's there's been like a natural disaster and how everybody's dealing with it. So I, I like that. It's, you know, it, it's a little more hopeful and optimistic this season. Uh, I think the characters have been through a, a huge, um, a huge trial together. And so um, see, seeing them bond but also seeing them suffer the consequences of what they've endured. I, I, I like what they're doing with Detmer's character. I mean, she clearly has PTSD and is not recovered or, you know, she's still going through that. So sometimes Star Trek kind of wrap things in nice, neat bow when people went through a pro, you know, serious problem situation. Um, but, but, but they're allowing Detmer to still try to, work through this which i which i like and i also like the fact that they're they're focusing a lot on that character and on dr colbert's character and balance seeming to try to balance it a little bit more with like burnham and staru so you're actually getting that overall feeling like the first the first season season and a half I, you, I couldn't tell you who anybody else on that ship was besides Burnham, Saru, Giorgio, and, and uh, whatever the mirror guy was, Lorca. It wasn't like you didn't know everybody's name like you did in any other Trek series. They were actually felt to be part of the cast and the crew. 
I'm, I'm glad they're starting to branch out a little bit and tell some of these other stories. Yeah, give the give the bridge crew more to do. Yeah, yeah. But what you said about Culver, I liked because Culver, he's acting as a psychologist, counselor. He's trying to help the crew try to navigate through this. And, um, you know, at the end of the, the third episode, you know, basically said, yeah, we're not fine, but over time we, we will be. Yeah. I appreciated that a lot, that, that understanding and acceptance and the, and, and, and bringing forth, like they all have PTSD. They have mm-hmm. all like in a, in a form that we can, we could never imagine to, to, to think about like, you've not, you've left your, if you leave your family behind, you know, to go live in another country, there's still in exist or, you know, there's still an existence, but you have left them behind in another galaxy and another, almost a thousand years in the future. And then to worry about, you know, are they, are you have your crewmates to take care of and you have your job to do. And I, I love that they acknowledged the PTSD and I love that they were open about it and saying that it's, it's okay to talk about it. And it's okay to, you know, everybody's processing it. And then in today's episode, there was a moment where like um, the pilot, the gal with the super cool eye and um, Oh, something had happened and Oh, they just kind of locked eyes and she's like, you got this. And like that reinforcing that, that, that support system was, meant a lot to me. Yeah, I, 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 I think this show's doing great. I think, I think it's killing it this season so far. I concur. Excuse me. And the fact they've got nothing, they've really got nothing holding them back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not beholden to what, what yeah. has come before. I mean, if anything, they have... They have centuries of things to fill, and but, but as far as they can, they can go forward, I mean, they're not, you know, they don't have to bump into what what has come before. They can they can kind of um, they can make they, they they can write the stories that's going along. They don't they're not they're not, you know, they don't have to worry about crashing into cannon or something else or uh, worried about um, creating internal inconsistency or something. JJ up and ruining it all. I wonder if um, Klingon physiology has changed again. Uh, <laughs> oh, you know it has. I mean, come on. Well, I mean, they are a very unique species that evolve very quickly, or you know, day to day. That's just something like we don't talk again. about. <laughs> it's actually I, I, like a cycle that they go through, but you don't. That they don't talk about it. You know, the the men have their own cycle. I don't know. That's that's what's going on with the with the head bridges. Well, I, go ahead. Ev. Oh no, I just I love that it's basically carte blanche. Um, we've discovered that Earth is. You know, it was the last episode where Earth was like, "Oh no, MFers, I'm out. We're out." <laughs> peace out we've got this defense shield we don't know who you are you're genetically matching but we don't care get out um you know things have definitely changed in 930 years and um and it 
I, I'm so happy that that gives the writers carte blanche. They don't have to worry about canon because they get to create it now. Right. They really, right. they freely get to create it now. Like if all of a sudden some, you know, the Ferengi were now like com- pretty cool about being part of the Federation and have realized that they're, you know, incredibly insane, you know, life with Latinum has, is, is what killed them, like killed off most of them during the, the purge or the, whatever the thing is, the can't think of the word. The burn. The, the burn, you know? And so, Oh, we have to partner with the humans to make sure that we survive. <laughs> oh, Scott, you'd appreciate this. Um, Christopher Heyerdahl guest starred in the third episode. Oh, really? That's awesome. I don't know so, who that is. Oh, he played. He, he the, he's, he's done so much. He was Todd the Wraith in Stargate Atlantis. He was Alice Star in Supernatural. He was the Beast in Sanctuary. He was Jack the Ripper in Sanctuary. Oh, yes. Um, but he was he was the guy with the helmet mask in the third episode. He was um, when you know, oh yeah. he was he was also the villain the- he was also the villain in Helen Wheels. The Swede, yes, the Swede. <laughs> so. But Scott, and I had a chance to meet him at um, far, uh, shortly of two thousand nine. He, he was, was one of our there. very first interviews, and all I remember about that is we sat down and we had literally a 45 minute conversation with him. He just kept going. He was fantastic. Yeah. But all right. Uh, anything else about discovery? It's awesome. People should watch it. I know I need to, I need to watch it. Maybe if I'm quarantined, I will. So who do we think Jeffrey Combs is going to play? They wouldn't be Trek without him. Well, they're hoping that he'll be back for um, Strange New Worlds. He, oh, that'd be he, great. He he played the Doctor. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what people. That's what the fans want. They want him to play the Doctor. Hmm. Doctor Boyce, uh, the the the, 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 the the guy who's the, the Doctor Boyce character. Oh, that would be awesome. Imagine him and um, uh, Anson Mount, the, the the two of them together. That would be okay. That's acceptable. That is very acceptable. I would take that. Yeah, uh-huh. Sounds good. All right. Let's move on. Tell me about the uh, life beyond two. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that, Chrissy? Um, well, I kind of covered a little bit in my um, introduction here, but just, it was really fascinating because it went through all the different like possibilities of where like, we could look for alien life um, and what it might appear as and really expanding on what our definition of life is and how we would even know if it was there. Um, Looking at all sorts of, you know, from tiny microscopic chemical life that may be living inside stars that their lifespans are so quick and so fast that like, we're talking like nanoseconds, their whole life is you know gone and which of course gets me thinking of like well what if we had life forms whose life and existence was you know you know for them like a word took you know years for us to say because we would be to them like those tiny crazy chemical 
life forms inside stars would be to us. So, I mean, it was just, it just introduced a whole bunch of fascinating ideas of what life could be and where we could be looking for life. Um, and, you know, really experiencing what um, science fiction could be um, in life, like actual. So... You can actually watch the episodes are up on, up on YouTube, or at least some of them are, and they actually it's very surreal. The music's beautiful, the imagery is beautiful. Yeah, so I mean, and the I think it's one guy who did it all on his computer. So it's really amazing what he was able to put together. Um, and there there's another that's beyond one, which talks about you know, our place in the universe that I, that I watch. So he dropped life beyond one, I think last year, and then recently dropped life beyond two. So the channel um, by Melody Sheep, is that a guy or a girl? You said a guy, but. I'm, I'm pretty sure, but that's just because I'm assuming that he narrated it. Uh, um, so it, it was be, a male narrator. It could be a male it narrator. Could. And cause Melody Sheep, I think it's a girl. Oh, is it? I, I thought I thought the person like it was this was all their own project. I didn't watch the thing, so I I may have made the cardinal error of assuming that it was someone doing this on their computer. Uh, you're right. It, it. It's actually a, it is a guy, Melody Sheep. It's a it's actually a musical artist. Oh yeah, because I was like I, I was like I'm pretty sure it was a guy because I thought this was his own project that he did by himself. John, John D. Boswell is a filmmaker, composer, VFX artist, editor from Pacific Northwest. Uh, well, you all should check him out um, and what he did. I think it's fantastic. Um, you know, there's a lot of different stuff on YouTube that is science fiction. There's also a lot of bad stuff on YouTube that's science fiction. But, you know, I, I just think it's amazing what people can accomplish um, one of the you things, know, on that platform. One of the things you should check out is The Good of the One, which is a Spock tribute by Melody Sheep. Oh. So, so yeah. Yeah. So it's very, if, if you're looking for stuff that causes you to chill, this music's for you. So, well, we're about ready to head into your interview, unless you guys, unless we have anything else to talk about news-wise. Uh, Doctor Who started filming today. Good. Which made me very happy. Oh, it should. Because I did finally catch up on that, and I'm still enjoying it. Yep. No, I, I still enjoy Who. Um, anything else? Um. We have Star Trek and Star Wars on at the same time, pretty much. I, as a sci-fi fan, that makes me. You're living happy. the dream, living the dream. I am living the dream. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's move into our interview tonight. And this interview we're going to be sharing is uh, interview from none other than Charles Dunbar. And Chrissy, you may recall this young man. Oh yes, I remember him. I loved interviewing him. He was so funny, and you could just tell that he had such a passion for what he was doing. Um, and I think, like his handler or whatever, they actually had trouble finding him to to come to the interview because, of course, he was like nerding out in in the. Um, con so they were like um you're supposed to come interview people like you need to come here oh, that's but funny he was just, yeah so like i mean he he really it's fascinating that he was both definitely very much of um 
the group, but also he studies the group, which I think is very interesting and, and would almost have to bring a certain amount of self-awareness to be able to do that effectively, to be like, oh, my group is doing this. So like both being in it and outside of it um, as an anthropologist must be extremely fascinating. Um, and it's one of those things where I almost went into anthropology and then decided that I should go do something um, which I, which people said would be a little bit more practical, but now knowing what he gets to do for a living, I kind of wonder if I should have gone with anthropology. I mean, I could have been studying anime nerds this whole time or Star Trek or Star Wars, and that would have been a lot of fun. <laughs> like, right. Of course I have to go to this con. It's for work. It's for work. Very yeah. important. It's very important studying. <laughs> I swear. Um, I, <laughs> I get to publish papers on that. Like that's, I'm a little bit jealous. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Well, you know, when I was reading his bio and stuff, I'm like, oh, this is like Chrissy and psychology. I mean, you come here and you do a psychological view of an episode that we are we're, we're watching and you bring your expertise into it. It gives a whole fresh perspective. And to have him as an anthropologist looking at these sort of things um, is awesome. Yeah, no, um, he, he gave a really great interview. I did get him on a slight um, rant about a cultural appropriation, but I, I felt that it was a very important question to be asking someone because Japanese, the Japanese as a culture, try to export their culture and then we're over here being like you can't do that and so it that i mean it had it was a question that had to be addressed at, at right. the time i felt and still needs to be explored i think in a very in-depth idea of of that yeah. so well to just give you a little bit of a uh, framework of who this guy is he's a graduate of hunter college and received a ba in religion and anthropology and an ma in cultural anthropology and a thesis was The Pilgrimage, Pageantry, and Fan Communities. was published in 2011, focused on anime convention, precipitation, participation, including spending habits, cosplay, demographics, communal behavior, and conventions, culture. Um, he's also given talks to the Joseph Campbell Foundation, which, of course, Star Wars is based in Joseph Campbell's work, and has worked in the music industry as an A&R talent scout and promoter. He excavated a Roman villa in the United Kingdom, studied Irish literature at Trinity College in Dublin, and acted as a teacher and mentor for at-risk students in a charter school. You know, that bio itself is full of richness. I know. If you if you ever get over to Ireland, you have to go to Trinity College. Uh, oh my gosh, their library. Like, you will cry. Oh, it was. Like, so, I almost cried. So when I saw the Book of Kells, I cried almost. So. Oh, oh, that was beautiful. By the way, random fact which makes me excited about him is he is an audiophile with over 2,000 vinyl albums in his collection. Nice. So. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll, love, you'll love him. Yep. Yep. And, um, yeah. So we'll just go ahead and share this interview with you, and, uh, and then we'll be back. So I'm here with Charles Dunbar, a cultural anthropologist and anime enthusiast who's combined his two passions. He runs the studyofanime.com. So I'm actually geeking out for probably not the usual reasons. I'm actually really passionate about anthropology. Um, the unsung heroes of the cultural studies. Oh my gosh, yes. I'm, I'm a social worker and mm -hmm. I honestly went into it mostly because I was like, I don't want to have to go get a PhD 
But part of me does wish that I would have gone to anthropology. I would have done language studies. So for people who aren't as familiar with the field of anthropology, can you give a brief explanation of what exactly you're doing as an anthropology in this anime subculture? Well, anthropologists are just sociologists that know how to BS better. And uh, that's kind of the whole the whole thing behind it. When I got started, it was just it was just let's look at this community that I belong to that no one ever pays attention to because this is going back what, like 12 years now. And they didn't. And fan studies was still the malign stepchild of any kind of social sciences. So nobody wanted to talk about fandom. Nobody wanted to talk about fans. They're just weird people that do weird things. Meanwhile, someone would, would publish this massive paper on, on, on sports rituals. And I, I, there is this, there is a paper about, um, people with sports superstitions. And it's like, so how come they get a pass on sports superstitions, but passionate media enthusiasts don't. And, it just was one of those things where the two started intersecting and I decided I have a very supportive department at my university. Thank God. So when I said, I want to do this, they said, do whatever you want. <laughs> and, um, I did whatever I wanted and I started doing native anthropology and things, things, I mean, it's not the same now as it was back then. That, that's like, we're talking 2008, 2009, 2010. <clears throat> that was a, a that, as far as you should be concerned, that's, that's two worlds away in terms of everything. And, it happens that way. So things have changed. So the anthropology of the scene now is dramatically different than it was then. And not, to be honest, I, I haven't even followed the anthropology of the scene for like the last four years. It just got, it got too weird. And I started segueing off into my actual passion, which is Japanese history. All right. So kind of segueing into that, this subculture, this fandom, fandom is actually now very multi-generational. Mm-hmm. Like it started in the sixties and the very fringe really started gaining traction with the millennial generation. And now a new generation is coming through. So have, like you said, you haven't been following it for the past four years, but how have you seen it kind of evolve from the start? Well, part of the reason why I haven't been following it is because the evolution evolved into a direction that I wasn't <clears throat> expecting it to go into. I mean, I'm, I'm friends. I come in from the dragon ball generation. So pre Pokemon, pre adult swim, but post eighties tape trading, I was in that weird little niche where you could buy bootleg tapes very easily in Chinatown. And you'd have to wake up at the earliest moment possible to watch, to watch the stuff on television. And I remember being in that generation. It was kind of weird because the generations after that had access to things like adult swim and cable television showing anime. And it was much easier to get into it than when I was getting through it. Pokemon changes everything and things go crazy with Pokemon completely lighting up the scene. And one of the things that I noticed was I'm friends with a lot of people from that sixties generation. I'm, I'm friends with Helen McCarthy. I'm friends with Frederick Schott and I'm friends with like the people on the East coast that do a lot of the fan, the were early fans. And they would talk about, Oh, here's how we would trade our tapes. We go to Japan, we throw these things together and they would start building a scene where a scene didn't exist. They take whatever spaces they were given and they would build their scene around it. And then came like the, the like the turn of the millennium with the cool Japan. And suddenly the scene was now big. And you now had your own, your own spaces for it. And the fandom generation I really started uh, looking into was the one that if it didn't exist in the scene, they would make it themselves. So like you'd go to a convention and this panel isn't there. So I'm going to make it myself. And that's kind of how I started with it is, Oh, I don't see history panels anymore. I'm going to do them. I don't see culture panels. I'm going to do them. I don't see these fandom generational talk panels. I'm going to do them. And then the generation after that was, well, we don't really, we like anime, but it's not the only thing we like. And we like all these other things. So we're going to go to the conventions and we're going to use anime as our way of talking to other people. 
ice breaking. And then all our other stuff is going to flood in. And we're going to use anime as the common denominator to share all of our passions. And you started seeing things like uh, Sherlock and Whovians and all that infiltrating into the anime scene. And this is like 2009 to 2012, back when I published my thesis. And all you were seeing was this massive influx of fandom, not anime fandom, fandom. And I loved this because now you're starting to see, instead of it being a closed community, you're seeing it become an open community. And anime has always been kind of the open community, but now they were, they were being tested to see, are you really as open as you claim to be? And of course you had one generation that said, this isn't anime and they leave. And then you have another generation saying, well, I like anime, but I also like Avatar The Last Airbender. And I also like uh, Teen Titans. And I also like Doctor Who. And why can't we all celebrate this together? And that generation just went boom. And that was the generation that I really loved, which was like the 2011 to like 2015 was this massive influx of creativity and this massive influx of cosplay, and this massive influx of community. And one of the reasons why I stopped is the, the, I've, I've reached the point where I've turned into the angry old man and I never wanted to get to that point. And I'm, I'm noticing that the current generation of fandom doesn't share the same values that I have. So it's a little different. And no, nothing wrong with that. I just don't see that I have a place in it anymore. So whereas I was thriving during the multi-genre, bring what you love, do what you love, and let's all have a big party thing, the current generation is part of a, of a massive internet saturation that I just don't get. And since I just don't get it, I'm not going to try to speak as an authority on it. I'm going to let them do them. And I'm going to do what I've always wanted to do. So in the last few years, I've stopped talking about fan studies. I've stopped talking about fandom stuff because there's a whole new generation out there that is paving their own way, doing their own thing and building their own community. And I'm going off and doing my who would win in a fight between like Bloody Mary and the slit mouthed woman, because that's something I really enjoy doing. And I've segued furthermore into the history and culture side just because it's it's something that, that is a stronger passion for me. And I'd rather keep the passion going. Mm-hmm. Passion drives fandom. And for me, my passion is, is in a different place now. So do you think that the fandom is getting to the point where it's going to start splitting into smaller fandoms? I'm literally surprised it hasn't already, <laughs> but uh, so am I, to be honest, I I'm shocked. It hasn't already because it's reaching a point where it's reaching a point where, where you always have that point. You always have that point. Like, well, let's just use an analogy. Look at punk rock. It got bigger and bigger and bloated and bloated and bloated and bloated until it's fragmented into a thousand tiny little pieces. And then all those tiny little pieces built up their own little things until they got bloated and fragmented into a thousand little pieces. And that's kind of the way fandom goes after a while. It gets bigger and bigger till it's unsustainable. It cracks, it breaks apart. And that was like what I'm saying, like back in like 2009, 2011, it reached a critical point. And I remember uh, Pat Delahanty from AnimeCons.com made a point that 2011 was a recession year for anime fandom, where the previous year it exploded, and then that year it shrank, and then it exploded again in 2012. Mm-hmm. And that was like a breaking point. Mm-hmm. And it fragmented, and then something new came in and just it surged. I think we're kind of due for another one. We are due for another one. And I, I saw it with My Little Pony where they tried. And it it did its own little thing, but it didn't surge as strong as it could have. I remember they tried to do a Homestuck convention, but that just didn't work. Uh, let's let the less we talk about Dashcon, the better. And you see attempts for it to happen, but I think it's overdue for one of these fractures or schisms, like make, like makerspace events 
kind of fragmented off of this. And now they're going strong and doing their own thing. And a lot of crafters and, and designers and people that were doing those kinds of goods, like you see them more in the artist alley, but there was a point where you would see them all over the place and then Makerspace events started. And I started moving over to Makerspace events. And that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're seeing a resurgence in gaming cons. There used to be anime cons had a strong gaming presence. And now I'm, you're starting to see the gaming thing kind of split off from, from, from anime, comics, and sci-fi. And now gaming cons are big, thanks to places like MAGFest and PAX. I went to a gaming con last week in, in Maryland that their first year they had 400 people. This year they had almost 1,400 people because people were like, we want to do this now. And you're starting to see it happen. I just think we're overdue for a major one. And it'll happen at some point. It will. It has to. Okay. So there's a lot of talk about cultural appropriation versus exchange. And so it has to like, it's had to come up in your studies because anime subculture can't help but dance that line, especially with cosplay. Where do you see anime and its fandom in that larger conversation? Well, I think that's, I think I've always thought that cultural appropriation is the greatest buzzword I've ever heard (laughs) because I have seen instances where like a great classic example. The Japanese consulate decides to put on a workshop for wearing kimonos. They get kimono experts from Japan. Mm-hmm. They take space up at the art museum and they invite people to come and learn the proper way to wear a kimono and a proper way to treat a kimono and a proper way to understand kimono culture. And they get called out for appropriation. The Japanese consulate does in fact speak for Japan and they're putting this together to not foster ignorance. Because I see people put on kimonos the wrong way all the time. And they wanted to show education. And yet a bunch of people scream cultural appropriation. I remember we had this discussion once when I was in grad school. Appropriation is when you steal something. When you steal it, then you use it to belittle the person you stole it from. If the other culture is giving it to you and saying, try this, wear this, do it the right way, that's cultural exchange. Mm-hmm. you're not stealing it from the other culture. They're literally handing it to you and saying, let me show you how to do this so you don't make a mistake. And I think I, I the, the, bu- the buzz is like, I see it in music all the time. I see it in fashion all the time. And it's one of those things where you know it when you see it. If someone puts on a tribal-inspired outfit that was designed by some weird guy over in Austria and has no idea of the cultural ramifications of what they're doing, they're appropriating it. If a Japanese kimono maker hands you a kimono, shows you how to wear it and says, wear this properly or don't wear it at all. He's exchanging it with you because at that point he is, he is consciously aware of what he is doing and he's giving it to you and saying, I respect you take this. And I think most people just look at it and decide to broad brush the entire thing and just jump right on top of it. But if they're designing it for the other culture and they're giving it to you and they're explaining its use to you and they're making sure you do it respectfully, you're not stealing it at that point. So it is a very fine line. And one of the things I've noticed when it comes, it's, it's one of those things that pops up all the time. I've seen people that say you can't cosplay ja- you can't cosplay Japanese characters if you're not Japanese. And then you go over to Japan and you ask them about the whole Scarlett Johansson thing with uh, Ghost in the Shell. And it's like, oh, but they're just ignorant of what's happening to them. And it all comes down to, to like just, it all comes down to perspective. And I think we need more education on that perspective because you can't have someone just screaming appropriation every single time they see something like that, because that just flies in the face of actual cultural exchange. And a younger me would say that also actively encourages segregation, which I thought we tried to get rid of in the sixties. Yeah. 
I was a firebrand when I was in college. I used to scream that stuff out. And then I had so then I had one of my professors. He was a, he was a Kenyan, a, he was like a Kenyan a revolutionary, literally smack me in the back of the head and say, stop talking just to talk. <laughs> Ever since then, I stopped doing it. <laughs> what would you like to see trend in the subculture or what are your criticisms of it? Like, are there things or behaviors going on from an anthropological point of view that aren't functional? There, there are, but they, they're not things I'm actually willing to talk about. <laughs> I, I get there. There are things about the culture right now that I don't like. Uh, there are. I'm starting to get a little upset when I go to shows and people don't don't care about anything outside of shouting memes in a hallway. That really bothers me. I, I went to a con a couple of years ago and there were a bunch of kids in the hallway screaming memes about anime. And I was saying to them, Hey, you know, I'm doing a talk in this room about the history of animation in Japan. I'm going to be showing some clips from like hundred year old Japanese animation. You want to sit down and take a look. Cause you're talking about it right here in the hallway. And they're like, no, we just want to sit here. And I'm like, really? But, don't you come to conventions to expand your horizons and build a community? And no, they just were there to scream memes in a hallway. And that kind of bothers me because I am an educator. I like to teach. And when someone flat out says, I come to cons because I don't want to go to school or, okay, this happened to me um, last month at a con. I was, I was talking to some people and I was saying that I don't own any, I, I own very little anime merchandise. I don't buy a lot of it. I don't buy statues. I don't buy t-shirts. I don't buy a lot of comics because I don't have room for them. I don't buy a lot of like the little keychains and whatnot. And I was, I was told to my face by this one guy, well, you're not a real fan. And I stopped for a second and I said, what? And he said, you don't support the community. So you're not a real fan. And I, I literally had to hold my tongue because I wanted to scream at him. I just gave a 90-minute presentation on the history of animation in Japan, and you're telling me that I am not a fan. And that's some of the things I'm starting to see in the scene that I don't like. And it fragments the scene. And if there's one thing that I've always hated, I don't like gatekeeping. I can't stand gatekeeping. I don't like arbitrary definitions of what makes a fan. I think that's one of the worst things that you could ever possibly do because it, it dictates someone else's fandom experience based on your fandom experience, which that's pretty, that's pretty bad. That's egocentric right there. And I am not a big fan of, of anything that would cause a community to divide down the middle because the communities are supposed to be strong and we're supposed to stand for each other. And when you start arbitrarily dividing a community, you're turning into a jerk. And I'm starting to see that happen again. I saw that back in the early aughts where like, oh, you've never heard of this particular show from the 1970s. Why are you at my convention? I heard that. In the, I used to hear that back in the 90s when I would go to conventions. Like I didn't know what, what like, I didn't know what, what Space Battleship Yamato was. And people used to ridicule me and say, you don't deserve to call yourself an anime fan if you don't know the classics. And now I'm starting to see that happening again in the current community. And I just want to go up to those people and yell at their face we have whole generations that fought to have a unified community so you can have an event like this and now you just want to arbitrarily punch down on everyone else's parade. And I, I don't like that. That's my big criticism of, what the, of what's happening. And I see it more and more now. Well, thank you very much for your time and for your contributions to both anime and 
recommend to anthropology and the militant angry anime fan. <laughs> yes, yes, but you know what? The social sciences need some angry anime fans. Honest, honestly. I would just say to anyone who wants to do anthropology and wants to go into the fan community, you study your community and you leave a record for your community so you know and they know where they came from. And don't let anyone tell you you can't. <laughs> That's the other thing. Don't let anyone tell you they can't. you can't because you can find what you need. Run and run with it. Thank you so much. And we are back. So, guys, it's about time to wrap up the show, but I understand we have an Enterprise episode coming down the pike? Yeah, so December the 3rd, we will talk, be talking about uh, Broken Bow Parts 1 and 2. And do I understand you're going to be lining up a special guest to join us again? I'm going to certainly try. That is my intent. That's right. That's right. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. But- and that will be my last episode for a while. Yep. So I'll have to say goodbye to Chrissy because it's winter shelter time. Yep. So if you can volunteer, please go volunteer at winter shelter because they will yeah, need you. They will. And especially in times like COVID where people, you need people that are willing to be brave. <laughs> and, yes. Uh, and a lot of times we get people who are, re- who are retired. And so please, let the people who are retired and vulnerable not feel like they need to come out and volunteer because you won't. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, it was fantastic chatting with each one of you. This was fun. It was very good. It was very good. It's always a hoot. It is. Always enjoyable. Yeah. Well, we do need to wrap this up because I need to go. I need, I need to go and take care of my frosted tips. And, um, and, uh, oh my God. And then we will, uh, you could hear you. So, Miles, why don't you take us out of the show? All right. Till next time. Good night and good luck. We'll see ya. To your dailies. Wear your mask and go boldly. Really? You really missed me, like. Laying into my I, I can't recover that. My uh, my computer is now freshly updated, but I, I can't recover that. So. <laughs> no, you weren't recording at the time. I was apparently according to Miles, I was swearing like a sailor. Yeah, I know. I missed it all. I, and that was me holding back. That was me going full force. On if it. only my mother were here. So. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. Your poor oh goodness! I don't. I don't think that I would have that kind of language in front of her. No. I don't think I would have I that. Yeah. <laughs> she she me down and washed my mouth out. Was so- <laughs> oh, I had that experience as a kid. <coughs> I do not doubt that for a second. I had my mouth mother. washed out with soap and I had pepper in my mouth. And let's see what else. That was Those were probably the big ones. I mean, pepper in my mouth would be like, whatever, bring it. I like the spice. Oh, I don't know what she was trying to accomplish. It really didn't help. I'm, I'm worse now than I was then. <laughs> I mean, That's true. Yeah. You American kids had it easy. Thank God for therapy. That's all I can say. Yeah. Oh. I'm still in therapy right. and enjoying it. So. <laughs> Indeed. Like, she doesn't like it when I try. So I've been trying to, like, for the last... 20 years teach her the correct vocabulary for things so that when I talk her through stuff you know she knows what I'm talking about 
Um, so it's never the coax cable. It's the pointy. It's it's the pokey cable, the one with the little pin that sticks out and pokes you if you're not careful. <laughs> and the HDMI one is the flat one. Do I put the flat one? Okay, yes, you put the flat one into. And that's that's always super fun. And then with the cell phone, it's the same thing. You know, it's like, do you see? Do you see the circle that looks like this? Oh yeah. Okay, that's your email. <laughs> Or like, look for the envelope. That's your email. But there's no e on it. Yeah, I know. But just think of the mail part. It's like postage, mom. Well, it should have a stamp. Well, all right. I don't. <laughs> I'm not the boss of these. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. She's super cute. She does understand though when someone calls and says we're calling about your computer, and she goes, "Oh, really? Tell me what's wrong with my computer." And she sasses them the way I do, like, "Well." Oh, that's funny. <laughs> she. <laughs> What that's did funny. she do? The other day, somebody called her and was asking about her computer problems, and she said, "Well, I don't know how to email. I don't know how to text." And they, "Oh, well, is it? No, that's the problem I have with computer. You ask about my computer problems. That's my problem with computers. <laughs> and sometimes Netflix doesn't work. Can you fix that?" And then they hung up on her. <laughs> so she she does know how to identify the fraudsters. And she, what word did she use recently? Hack. She used the word hack as a verb, like correctly in this kind of like in this kind of vernacular. And I was, aren't they going to hack my iPad, Mom? I love that you said that word. And no, they're not going to hack. Oh, there goes my soup. They're not going to hack your <laughs> your iPad. You're you're fine. Okay, but. If someone steals my money, that means you don't get an inheritance. All right, <laughs> bye. <laughs>